Hi, my name is Jared, and I've been really encouraged, as I'm sure many of you are, about Pastor Kevin's recent regroup sessions, encouraging us and reminding us of our duty and responsibility to be engaged politically and with the religious and cultural conversations and events that are going on all around us. I'd like to just share some of my personal experience and techniques that I've used that I've found to be effective, and I hope that they're an encouragement to you and maybe something that you can try out uh, if you ever have a question or a doubt about how to actually engage with somebody that you've been wanting to share the gospel with. Uh, first step, I think, is to pray, obviously, for the, that person and to be looking for those opportunities to share our faith with those around us. Um, and something that I found that's very effective in my own personal experience is to discuss current events uh, because I've always found it to be kind of awkward to just ask somebody straight out, hey, what do you believe, or why do you believe what you believe? Um, and I think by bringing it up in current events and things that are going on, uh, it makes it not as awkward or strange to start a conversation with somebody that you may or may not be that close with. Uh, so in my own personal experience, I've been able to witness uh, and share my faith with a couple of my coworkers, and that's exactly what I did, is I started out by asking them, hey, did you hear about this, and talk about a, a news story, because uh, it doesn't take long to read some of the headlines and realize how much sin and brokenness there is in this world. And it's a, it's a pretty quick transition from that news story about something something wrong or sad that happened, and then to follow up with some sort of spiritual-oriented type question that's broad, that, and then ask them what they think, uh, such as, so where do you think you'll go after you die, or why do you, what do you use to determine if something is right or wrong? Uh, what do you think the meaning of life is? Some of those big questions, and it, it takes it from a relevant current situation or story, and then shifts the conversation into a spiritual direction, and by starting out asking somebody their questions about what they believe, uh, a lot of people are really open to sharing uh, about what they believe and talking about themselves. Uh, so that makes it easy. And then it also makes it effective for you when you're listening to what they're saying in terms of what really drives or motivates that person or what are they concerned about. And then you can take what you know about the gospel and, 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 and the truth and share that with them to effectively speak to their heart. Um, and I think that has been really effective. I've been able to share that with a couple coworkers that I've worked with and uh, get in multiple discussions that have gone on over weeks and months and eventually I invited them here to Southside and, and both of them came. I was really excited about that. Um, unfortunately, I moved jobs and they moved jobs. Uh, so they came for a few weeks and then um, they're not here anymore. But it was, it was great to be able to encourage them and engage in those conversations and uh, help them to grow in their faith as well as myself because when they start asking questions and maybe things I didn't know, you know, I was honest with them. I said, I don't have all the answers, but it encouraged me to go and search and, and, and learn more and, and look into God's Word and Scripture and, and pray for them as well. Um, so I would just encourage you to, to try that out as uh, if, you, if you've struggled to find a way to share your faith with someone else. Another important thing is to share your own personal testimony in terms of how Jesus Christ has helped you and how your life, life has changed as a result of your relationship with Him. Um, it's, it's tough for people to refute your own personal testimony about God, how God has affected your own life, uh, but I think it's really effective uh, to reach other people. So uh, go out there and just be courageous and uh, engage with people in political and cultural discussions about what's going on in the world, um, and we can, we can make a big change. So if you want to talk more about it, feel free to contact me. My email address is jared underscore tomlin67 at yahoo.com. Take care. God bless. All right, I want you to remember that the role of government is to promote good and to punish and restrict evil. 
so that um, we can create, it can create benefits for the people under that governing rule. That's the God-given role of government. And one of the benefits that's created through the government following God's uh, prescription for government is that we have the ability as the church to bring to our people, our nation, our world, the truth of Jesus Christ. And that is an incredible benefit that we have from a government that does what it's supposed to do. And uh, I think God's designed that role of government because every single nation needs people of faith engaging the people in that nation uh, with the truth of God's word. There is a great benefit to the country, to the nation, of uh, having people of faith engage those people in the nation with the truth of God's word. Um, when, when we don't do that as individuals, when we don't engage others like Jared is talking about, we, we are not just behaving irresponsibly in the nation in which we live, but we are also behaving disobediently. It is a mandate of Scripture that we engage our world with the truth of the gospel. And I want to encourage you that uh, it is not right for us to live our lives as if everything in our society is okay. We, we can't just live our lives and go to church, and go to work, and go home, and raise our families, and act like everything in our nation is okay, because it's not okay. Things in our nation are not all right. And we need to be engaging. And, I, and I'm, I'm hoping that tonight this passage of Scripture will be an encouragement to us. So let's look at Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Your translation will say, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards those outside. And, and, and the word here that you see translate conduct is just walk. Walk before those who are outside in wisdom. Live your life before those who are outside the church in wisdom, redeeming or making the most of the time or the opportunity. And make sure that your words are always in grace, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how you are to answer each person. I think that passage gives us great direction because it encourages us to make sure we're living with the understanding that how we live in our world is actually what people outside the church see as what the Bible says. There's just not a lot of people outside the church that are reading the Bible for the same reasons we're reading the Bible. It's not happening. And so the way we live and conduct our lives in the areas God has placed us, around those who are outside the church, just might be the only Bible they're reading. And if we're going to live in such a way around those outside the church that we're wise in the way we live... We are actually living with the understanding I'm giving them a testimony through how I'm living as to the truthfulness of God's word, the joy of being a part of the church, and the hope of being 
in Christ. And, and the passage here is not just encouraging us to live in a particular way that creates, that, that, that allows us to see opportunities in, in the world, but is actually encouraging us to live in a certain way so that we are about creating the opportunities to engage with the world. See, people ought to look at our lives and the way we live and the way we talk and the way we act, and they ought to be saying, hmm, what it is about them? And you ought to be engaging and talking to them in such a way that you are creating opportunities for a conversation to happen about why you are the way you are. I don't know if you've ever heard people say things like, or pray things like, Lord, just show me an opportunity to share my faith. Lord, give me an opportunity to share my faith. And what I'd like you to see, this passage really encourages us to recognize that living among those outside the church is a constant opportunity that we must be seizing through the understanding of every way I conduct myself is about creating an opportunity to engage with somebody about the faith. And, and, and what we're to do in our engagement leads to actual conversations, just like Jared's talking about. And this passage gives us real indication, a particular guideline for how that conversation ought to go, what it ought to be like for the person you are engaging outside the church. And I want you to hear this, this, this concept of speaking with grace or in grace seasoned with salt. That's just a, a phrase that describes interaction with those outside the church in a way that those outside the church would think back on that engagement and say, man, that was really, that's really pretty good. I liked being around him. I, I liked listening to what she had to say. I, that was really enjoyable. Even if they say, I think they're totally off and I don't agree with the thing they said, I really enjoyed that time with them. That's the perspective that we're supposed to bring into the engagement with those outside the church. They're supposed to look at what we're doing and what we're saying and say, man, that's really interesting. That, that's, that's really attractive for me to hear and to know and to understand more about. I really have an interest in what you're saying. I find that who you are and what you say and how you say it is really appealing. And I'd like to be around you more. That's what this passage is telling us to be around those outside the church. Now, I wonder how many people in our lives right now, if we could just poll the people in our lives that are outside the church, how many of them would say, if we asked them, do you think I'm one of the most interesting, appealing, endearing people you know? You, you want to be around me as much as you want to be around anybody else because you just think I'm really interesting, exciting, fun person to be around? Or would they say, I don't even really understand what they do, who they are, or why they do what they do? Would they say, actually, that person's pretty boring? But what would they say about us? And, and I think the passage here is saying about us that we should be the kind of people that people around us say, I really love being around that person. I don't believe and agree with all they say, but I like hearing them talk about it because it's just, I don't know, it's enjoyable. I can't explain it. It's fun. That's the way people need to view us. Now, now, let me give you a hint. That has very little to do with your personality. All right, some of you are thinking, well, that's not my personality. I know somebody like that, but that's not me. Very little to do with your personality. Let me tell you what it has to do with. It ultimately boils down to this issue. 
Do you really take a genuine interest in those outside the church? Do you really find yourself pondering and contemplating and thinking about those who have lives outside the church and thinking, I really want to know more about their life. I'm interested in what they believe and what they think and why they think it. I'm I'm curious about how they do family and why they believe what they believe and why are they outside the church and what's their perspective towards God and what do they think about what's happening in our nation. I I want to spend time with that individual because I have a genuine interest in them. Jesus called that love. Do you really love somebody in your life that's outside the church? You know, I think if we really love somebody in our life that's outside the church, I think they would say of us, I really like being around him. I really find her encouraging to be around. Conversations with him are really interesting. And he takes an interest in who I am, even though I'm not like him. That's peculiar. And I like spending time with that person. I think it really boils down to, do we really love someone outside the church? If, if we do, and we can, we, we really can. The scripture tells us that the more we're attached to the love of God, the more we will find within us a love for someone else. If you really want to have an interest in someone outside the church, just spend some time talking to the Lord about his love for you and about his concern for that person And ask Him to give you a heart for them like He has. And then begin to show an interest in them. Conduct yourselves wisely around them so that they have an interest in you. And then when you talk to them, talk to them a way that they think this is great. This talking to each person in a particular way is what Colossians 4, 6 is emphasizing. It says that you may know how to answer each person. This, this is talking about how you interact with each individual person. Did you know that uh, programs that teach us how to interact with people outside the church can be very helpful? They can be very helpful. In fact, we have a program that many of our care groups are going through or have gone through, and I think it's a great. It's shared you without fear. I love that kind of stuff. It's good. It's helpful. But listen, the Scripture does not command us to learn a presentation and present that presentation to as many people as we can. The scripture commands us to answer each one as they need to be answered. You're not going to know how each one needs to be answered if you're not interested in their lives. The scripture is commanding us to be able to interact with people in a way that they feel like He really understands who I am, what I think, why I do what I do. She really gets me. 
And the way she answers my questions really shows that she or he cares about who I am. That's the way we're to engage our culture, our nation, the people around whom God has placed us. And what I want to do tonight is I want to do the best I can in creating, um, helping you create opportunities in the area of religious liberty. I want to share some things with you tonight in this arena. This is current affairs. You want to have conversations with people? Last month we talked about the sacredness of sexuality. You don't think that's a current affair? Turn on the news. People are hearing about it all the time. This month we're talking about religious liberty. Incredibly important current affairs. So I want to help you use your voice in your world of opportunity in the arena of religious liberty. So what is religious liberty? Religious liberty is the freedom to exercise your religious convictions and beliefs. It's, it's represented in the first words of the Bill of Rights. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or the prohibiting the free exercise thereof in the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights. Now, we are enjoying tonight the uh, freedom to worship. Do you like that? I mean, do you appreciate that freedom? Yeah, I mean, tonight was great, wasn't it? I mean, I, it was, I just could have kept on going, you know? I was like, maybe I don't need to say anything now. Let's just keep on worshiping, you know? It's a good time. And we get to, this freedom to worship. But I want to encourage you to recognize that the free exercise of our religion is not represented in totality in the freedom to worship. And I fear that our experience of the freedom to worship to come in every Sunday, every Wednesday that we want to, to be here and to have no restrictions on how we worship in this building. I fear that the freedom to worship here in Abilene that we are experiencing is clouding our eyes to the reality that exists in our nation. There is a significant threat to our religious liberty in our nation today. And what I don't want us to think is that we are completely free to worship, therefore we have religious liberty. Religious liberty is the freedom to exercise our religious conviction each and every day in every capacity of our lives. And, and that is really being threatened in our world today. Did you know that today, today, the continuance of public prayer and the public Acknowledgement of God is in jeopardy. Today, the legal group Alliance Defending Freedom are arguing the case Town of Greece versus Galloway before the U.S. Supreme Court. This is today. The court will decide whether or not public prayer will be allowed to continue in America. Between now and Monday, the court justices will vote and reach the decision as to whether or not to continue permitting public prayer, such as in city councils, school boards, and legislatures, or whether it will now be officially prohibited by the state. Religious liberty is under threat in America, and we need to engage. We must not allow the freedom we experience to gather to cloud us in the reality of these threats. Now, religious freedom is the most significant issue at stake because all other issues like the sanctity of life, 
And like the sacredness of sexuality and marriage, find their ultimate resolution in religious conviction. When an individual's freedom to believe or practice his or her faith is unjustly hindered by the government, we need to engage for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the church, and for the sake of our nation. Now, in addition to the matter of prayer before the Supreme Court, there are three primary areas of current concern, threats to religious liberty. So let me give you the three areas. The military... Number two, non-discrimination statutes. And number three is the health care mandates. Those are the three areas. And I just want to walk through those three and give you a a brief introduction. I'm just scratching the surface so that you're aware of the current environment. So you can gauge people around you. Because this is happening now. I mean, how many people around you have no idea the Supreme Court is talking today about whether or not people can pray in the public sector? It'd be a great question to ask people. Hey, did you know that today the Supreme Court of the United States is talking about whether or not we can have prayer at the next school board meeting here in Abilene or whether or not the state officially prohibits us from praying to any God? Praying, period. They're going to shut it down. What do you think about that? That's a bridge. That's engaging. All right, military. With the repeal of the don't ask, don't tell policy and 14 states now legalizing same-sex marriage and the reintroduction of the Respect of Marriage Act, which is an act to repeal the Defense of Marriage Act. Do you know about that? This, that's gonna be, that was reintroduced this summer to Congress. Though the military, as a result of all that stuff that's happening, has found itself in the middle of a predicament. And so... In the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal 2013, signed in January by President Obama, there was included in that Section 533. Have you heard of Section 533? This is the section in this act labeled Protection of Rights of Conscience of Members of Armed Forces and Chaplains of Such Members. Now, the section which the President publicly criticized after signing the bill, states that the military personnel and their chaplains are still free to hold religious-based opinions. Chaplains cannot be required to perform any right contrary to conscience, moral principles, or religious beliefs of the chaplain. Neither can chaplains face adverse personnel action, including denial of promotion, schooling, training, or assignment as a result of such refusal. Now, you guys, you, you church members that are in the Air Force, you, you hear about a lot of this stuff going, a lot more than maybe a lot of us here, but it is a big deal in the military now, huge. Military people, am I right? This is huge, affecting everybody, all right? The president's response, my administration remains fully committed to continuing the successful Im- implementation of the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell and to protecting the rights of gay and lesbian service members. Section 533 will not alter that. And he actually called Section 533 unnecessary and ill-advised. So the North American Mission Board, which is the Southern Baptist sponsor of the chaplains who are Southern Baptist in the military, issued some information for their chaplains, saying chaplains should not perform or even attend marriage-like ceremonies for same-sex couples. However, President Obama said that 
that in implementing Section 533, the Department of Defense will not permit or condone discriminatory actions that compromise good order and discipline or otherwise violate military codes of conduct. Do you, do you see the problem here? You got, you got this section saying this is going to happen, then you got the president, the commander-in-chief saying, well, we're not going to let discriminatory action negatively affect the military. Well, who's saying it's negatively affecting the military? Well, those who want to protect the rights of those who are demanding same-sex marriage. So, things remain uncertain at this point. But it doesn't look good for religious liberty. The current direction seems to be to protect the so-called rights of individuals to marry someone of the same sex while removing the protection of the rights of someone who believes he or she cannot actively condone such a union. You hear me? This is not about same-sex marriage. This is about ignoring the right of one to act according to religious beliefs. The current homosexuality and same-sex marriage experiment in the military may lead to a decrease in chaplains, a decrease in Christians overall. We don't know what's going to happen, but it certainly, that's some of the talk that's, that's going on. Am I right, military guys? Yeah, there's another hand. Yes, I'm right. Ultimately, this is a threat to religious liberty. All right? Okay, area number two, this increasing number of non-discrimination statutes by federal state, and local government. A non-discrimination statute is a statute that's being used in local governments primarily at this point to attempt to force people to act against their consciences, particularly as it relates to individuals and individuals' religious convictions regarding same-sex marriage and homosexuality. Let me give you an example. Two examples. San Antonio City Council proposed this non-discrimination ordinance this summer. No person shall be appointed to a position if the city council finds that such person has, prior to such proposed appointment, engaged in discrimination or demonstrated a bias by word or deed against any person, group, or organization on the basis of race, color, religion, national origin, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, veteran status, age, or disability. So if you've even said anything that's negative towards somebody regarding gender identity, you are now removed from that position. Now, I will tell you that because of people's engagement in San Antonio, the wording of that ordinance was changed. But just because the wording was changed in San Antonio, that does not reflect what's happening in many cities across our nation. They are adopting non-discrimination statutes just like the one I read. Now, the Senate is proposing a version of what's termed INDA, have you heard of INDA, E-N-D-A, the, the Employment Non-Discrimination Act? And that will make it illegal for organizations with 15 or more employees to fail or refuse to hire or discharge any individual or otherwise discriminate against any individual because of such individual's actual or perceived sexual orientation or gender identity. So this act would force religious business owners and workplaces like Christian bookstores, religious publishing houses, preschools, religious television and radio stations to accept as normal any employee who's had a sex change surgery, is considering a change, just thinks that they're the opposite sex of what they really are. Today in Colorado, you may know this. If you feel like you are female when you're actually born male, you can go into the women's restroom and nobody can say anything about it. 
I mean, that, that's this non-discrimination attitude that's happening here. Now, on March, 20, March 22, uh, 2013, the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights conducted a briefing on reconciling non-discrimination principles with civil liberties. And one of the experts who testified at the briefing said, the sweeping application of non-discrimination principles poses an increasingly severe threat to civil liberties, especially to our first liberty of religious freedom. Government positions being filled with individuals that hold positions that are against religious liberty. The Commissioner of Equal Employment Opportunity Commission argued that when a conflict arises between religious liberty and sexual liberty, religious liberty should lose. Okay, I'm not... If you want to hear about what I think about the sacredness of sexuality, listen to last month's taboo. I'm not talking about that tonight. I'm talking about religious liberty. Both hate crime laws and non-discrimination statutes are presenting an increasing threat to religious liberty from government leaders who believe religious liberty should lose. All right, number three, the health care mandate. In an open letter to Americans released July 2nd, 2013, the, the collection of about 100 religious, pro-family, religious freedom leaders urged the administration to extend the conscious protections to include individuals and organizations with objections to the health care mandate. Now, the mandate uh, requires nearly all employers to carry insurance plans that cover drugs defined by the federal government as contraceptives even if they can cause chemical abortions. The coalition, the coalition said that the, special, the specific offense of the mandate embodies a greater fundamental breach of conscience by the government. The government is forcing citizen A against his or her moral conviction to purchase a product for citizen B. So it's coercive, and it puts the administration in a position defining religious doctrine. The issue here is not contraception or abortion, The issue is the callous disregard of our government has shown for the freedom of Americans to exercise their religious convictions. So those are the three big areas. When the government begins to limit, hinder, and oppose religious liberty, we have even more more responsibility to engage with others. The government is crossing a line. When the government forces individuals or institutions to adhere to practices that water down the witness of the gospel, they're standing against the church And we must engage. Now consider what happens if we lose religious liberty. When the state demands that we compromise our faith, we are being asked to trade one religion for another. We're being asked to trade biblical Christianity for what we will term American civil religion. And this is not just about Christianity. When our society ceases to affirm pluralism and diversity in the public square then their lack of religious liberty will eventually negatively affect all Americans. If the state successfully removes God from the public sector, then we will be left with only the state. And we will see our state move more and more toward being a government that acts with the force of religion. And this is contrary to our Constitution, and yet it seems to be the direction that we are going. But it's not going to work. There's a great quote from a couple that wrote, a book, Lessons of History, and they say, there is no significant example in history of a society successfully maintaining moral life without the aid of religion. Our government eliminates religious liberty. The government will assist our nation in disintegrating. The Bill of Rights was adopted because of the fear of tyranny. 
If the elements of the Bill of Rights are ignored or redefined so that religious liberty is no longer protected, we are on our way to the disintegration of our social, social our civil society. And, in, and disintegration of the civil society is the forerunner of tyranny. We should not assume that suffering under tyrannical government that no longer protects religious freedom is God's will for our country. That is not good for us, it's not good for the church, it's not good for the nation, it's not good for the people of the nation. And we need to engage, we need to pray for the sake of the gospel, the sake of the church, and the sake of our nation. We need to be a voice. We need to be a voice saying what God says in a way that's full of grace, seasoned with salt, engaging individuals in an individual way. We need to live wisely with those outside the church and religious liberty is a great opportunity for us to live wisely and talk graciously. So let me give you six um, things to keep in mind as you engage. I'm going to go through them really quick. All right, number one, people are not our enemies. All right? They should feel like we love them. That's what makes our speech graciously seasoned with salt. People are not our enemies. Same-sex married couple is not our enemy. You think of the, the kind of person that you would least like to be around outside the church? They are not your enemy. You should love them. And you should engage them with speech that makes them think you are enjoyable to be around and they want to hear more of what you have to say. Number two, we are ultimately carrying the message that all people need to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. That is what we're ultimately doing. All of this engagement in everything else is to create an opportunity to beg people to be reconciled to Jesus. That's what this is all about. Number three, our position on life, marriage and sexuality and religious liberty, listen closely to what I'm going to say here, must not only be a religious conviction. This is so important. I could spend 30 minutes on this just by itself. It must not only be a religious conviction. If we hold these perspectives and they're only religious in nature and we expect the state to enforce those positions, then we are actually contributing to the erosion of religious liberty. We must be able to articulate that our position is not just religiously motivated, but is also motivated for the betterment of our society. These are just fundamental principles that history has shown work. And it's no mistake that it works. These are coming right from what God says. So it's religious, yes, but it's also just fundamental to who we are as human beings and it is best for our society. And hopefully, I've given you some idea how to begin articulating some of that argument that if we let religious liberty erode, it is terrible for our society. All right, number four, you need to be familiar with the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission website. This is the lobbying group for our convention, for us. You help pay for this group. If you give money to Southside, a piece of your money goes to this group. And there are lobbyists in Washington, and they are great at informing us on what's happening in the world. And the website is erlc.com. You need to check that out. Number five, you need to become familiar 
with the Manhattan Declaration. I'm not saying you should believe everything in there necessarily, but you should definitely be familiar with it. It is a helpful statement regarding the issues of life, marriage, and religious liberty. Incredibly helpful. You can just Google the Manhattan Declaration. It was given in 2009 addressing the three issues that I've addressed in these three sessions together. Number six, lastly, we're called to live a life that gives pause to those outside the church, creating opportunities for those outside the church to see God and to hear about Jesus. We're called to be a voice, one that speaks in such a way that those outside the church would be glad they listened. If we are to obey this command, we must engage with those outside the church. And the issues that are often considered taboo are great issues for engagement because we just might be the only person in someone else's life who is actually living and saying what God says in a loving and endearing way. So conduct yourselves with wisdom towards those outside the church because that's good for us. It's good for the church. It's good for our nation. It's good for everyone. Because God is love.